This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. I recently posted my summer 2021 recommended reads list, and it's under the blog tab on my website. I hope you'll check it out. Today, I am interviewing Kristen Higgins about Pack Up the Moon. Kristen is the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author of 19 novels. Her books have received dozens of awards and accolades, including starred reviews from Kirkus, the New York Journal of Books, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, People, and Booklist. Her books regularly appear on the list for best novels of the year. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Kristen. How are you today? Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me, Cindy. I'm very excited to have you and to talk all about Pack Up the Moon. Thank you. Why don't we start out with you just giving us a quick summary of the book for those that might not have read it yet. Okay. Well, this is what I call a tragic love story with a happy ending. It's the story of Josh and Lauren Park. They have just gotten married, and about a year into their marriage, they discover that she has a terminal disease, a lung disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, for which there is no cure. And so they suddenly have to grapple with this very different life than they had envisioned and face the fact that their time together is much more limited than they would have hoped. So Lauren decides that. Josh will be lost without her. She is absolutely right. And so she writes him a letter for each month of the first year of his widowhood. And she has her friend drop it over each month so he can't read them all at once and that kind of thing. And so every month in his grief, Josh has to do something that Lauren suggested. And sometimes the tasks are small. Sometimes he's a little resentful of having to do them. And sometimes they just seem so perfect. It feels like Lauren is sitting there on the couch next to him. So it's this story of tremendous love in a marriage. It's a story of a very happy marriage. And it's also the story of loss and recovery. And, you know, grief is an expression of, of love, I think. So it's kind of this journey that Joshua goes through, not just from having a wife who's sick, but also learning to live without her. In some ways, she brought him to life before uh, when they first met and started dating and got married because he's on the spectrum. He's very much a loner. He is 
a super genius who works for himself. And she gives him this new life of family and fun and companionship. And then when she realizes she's going to have to leave him, she tries to rescue him again, kind of keep himself out of his own way. How did you come up with this subject matter? First, the disease, and then also the idea of the writing of the letters. And she writes to both her father and to Joshua. So how did you come up with that format and the time frame and how the story unfolded, all of it? Well, I um, I came up with the idea of writing the story of a widower when I was walking my dog on this frigid winter beach a couple of years ago. And it was so cold, like we were racing to get home. My dog had his little jacket on and, you know, my I had my parka on, my eyes were streaming. And we saw this guy, this youngish man, 30 something at the edge of the water, just staring out to sea, oblivious to the cold and the wind. And I thought to myself, he looks like the saddest man in the world. And I thought, and that's the next book I'll write this lonely man. Um, And, you know, sometimes as a writer, these things just speak to you. So I kept it in my pocket until it was time to write a new book. And I did some research about how Lauren would die and what kind of disease she would have, which sounds so grim, you know, it sounds so evil, like, what can I give her that will (laughs) definitely kill her, you know? And then if somebody looks at your computer later and they're like, what was she researching? Very dark over there. Very dark. So I found a forum for people who have idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, IPF for short. And there was a young woman who wrote for that forum named Charlene Marshall. And I contacted her and I said, I'm writing a book where the character is going to have this and I want to let you know up front she dies from it. And Charlene was so excited because she said, you have a platform to talk about this. This is one of those unknown diseases in out in the world. And young people do get it. People as young as 20 get it. Charlene was 30 when we started talking, and she's 32 now. And she talked about what it's like to live with a terminal diagnosis and, and the decisions that you have to make from the very ordinary decisions of how much can I do today, you know, until I run flat out of energy to how am I going to spend the rest of my life? I know it's going to be shorter than I had planned. And I know none of us knows how we're going to die, but we with IPF have a pretty good idea. And what are you going to do with the time that you have left? And she was so upbeat and positive without romanticizing her condition. Obviously, she would rather not have it. But I I also then, as part of the research, I found this documentary about people who were facing the end of their lives. And every person in it was so positive and so grateful and so sad that they would be leaving their loved ones behind. But just this really intimate portrait of knowing that your time is winding down and making the most of that time. And I just thought it was really beautiful and I always think about dying. I don't know if I'm abnormal this way. But I think because my father died in a car accident, I have always been aware of how quickly life can change. And my husband is a firefighter, so he's at higher risk than most. And, you know, I'm always thinking about, you know, how will it end? And so in writing this book, it was very cathartic for me. And I think it's very cathartic for a lot of readers too 
to fall in love with these fictional characters and go through their journey and have this, you know, very safe way to cry over maybe things in your own life that are more complicated or losses that you've had. Um, reading about fictional grief to me is always, I always feel very like cleansed by it, you know, because I've sobbed myself out and <laughs> wadded up all the tissues. But I also want to say that this book is filled with humor. And it's a very hopeful and life-affirming book, even though Lauren does die. It definitely is a life-affirming book. I agree with that completely. What about the letter writing? Because I love letters. I love when stories are told in letters, either partly in letters like yours or fully in letters. It just always really engages me. How did you decide to use that format? Well, with Lauren writing letters to Joshua, I thought this would not have just come out of the blue for her. She writes to her late father, who, like my own, died suddenly when she was in college. And it's a way for her to feel close to him. She, you know, she had this wonderful relationship with her dear old dad, and she just wasn't prepared to lose him. And so she writes him letters as a way to almost like journal and keep track of herself. And she makes a list of things she wants to accomplish in life. And she tells her dad about this in her letter form. And it's a way for her to be very intimate without having to worry about the person she's talking to. Her dad is already dead. You know, sometimes you can't tell a living person, I'm so afraid, I'm so scared. And, you know, because they have their own horse in this game in, in you, like you can't tell your mom these things or your sister, but she's really able to be completely herself and honest with her dad. I like that because I think that's exactly right. She doesn't want to burden her mother or her sister or even her husband, Joshua, because she knows they're already struggling so much. But it's a good way for her to express her feelings and get some of the upsetness and just her fear about what's going to happen to her out. Mm -hmm. And also her joy. You know, the I guess the promise of this book is in the first opening scene or opening letter to her dad, she says, I know my time is winding down. And I know Joshua will be a widower, but this has been the best year of my life. And that's sort of the promise that she gives the readers that it's not all dark and sad and, you know, wrenching. I'm, it is that I like to give my readers the whole <laughs> emotional gamut, you know, spectrum, right? Yes. Um, but also that you can, you can find joy in the worst places and that you know, if you have a diagnosis like hers, you do get to make some decisions about how your last years are spent. Did you decide on the format from the very beginning in terms of her stuff going backwards while Joshua's stuff went forwards? Was that something that was intentional from the beginning or did you work through that as you wrote the book? I decided that early on because I wanted to get her death out of the way, you know? Right. right. So I just thought it would be too sad to start with her healthy and having met this guy that she kind of knew from college and start falling in love with him leading up to her death. I thought that would have been really depressing. Yeah. And while this book is sad, I don't think it's depressing. You know, it's it's got this purity to it. And so telling her story backwards was a way for me to tell the reader like, okay, you know where she is and you know how her life ends. And let's learn about her going backwards, going from the acknowledgement of, you know, I feel like I'm getting ready and going back to a little bit less 
close, you know, finding out about her diagnosis, marrying Josh, getting engaged to Josh, and and meeting Josh. So her story ends on this beautiful, happy, certain note that she has met the man she will love for the rest of her life. And Joshua's story ends on a very beautiful, hopeful note as well. So I thought that was a gentler way to tell the story and also a way to really keep things positive and moving in the right direction for both of them. Well, I thought it worked very well. And I will not spoil anything, but I loved the way Joshua's story ended. Thank you. I was hoping it was going to go in that direction. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Because I don't want to spoil it for anyone else. But as things were unfolding, I was like, oh, please have it go this way and not another way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what about what surprised you the most as you wrote this book? I mean, was there something that happened or something when you were researching or as you were writing that unfolded differently? How about that? I think one of the things that surprised me was getting gritty with the story. You know, at first it was it was as if Lauren was this angel and she had learned so much about life at the ripe old age of 26 and she was fully formed. But, you know, they don't they're not perfect people and they do have fights and they irritate each other and when she finds out about her diagnosis, you know, that's a huge thing to wrap your brain around. And Josh has a really hard time with it. And he gets angry with her for accepting it before he does. And so I think that like this, this reality of their marriage was a surprise. And I think it was very necessary too, because, you know, I've been married a long time and as, as close to perfection as I think my husband is. There are definitely days when I want to throw a towel at him and, you know, (laughs) get out, get out of here, leave me alone. So that was a surprise. And also the different ways that people reacted to her, her illness. And I, I had a lot of fun with that because some people were awesome. Her sister was amazing. Her best friend really rose to the occasion. But then there's like, you know, the people who used her for inspiration porn, you know, hashtag praying for you. You know, that kind right, of thing. Right. And see what a good person I am because I, I care. Her neighbor. Her neighbor who was hitting on her husband before she was even dead. And her coworker. The, the, yeah, Lori Cantori <laughs> at work, um, who was, you know, angling for her office before Lauren had passed away or even <laughs> left work. So there was a lot of a lot of that. And just like how strangers react too. She has a little Twitter feed that she she enjoys, you know, about the People who say these things in this unguarded moment, like, oh, why do you have oxygen? Do you have asthma? And she's like, well, actually, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, yeah. people don't know what to do with that. And we Americans, especially, I think we tend to turn away from those really difficult situations where there's, there's nothing you can say except like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, one of, one of the things that I like to do as a writer is give people a story who don't always get a story. So someone with a terminal illness get in this book gets a beautiful love story. And at one point she says, you know, I have loved every day of our life together. And IPF has been part of that. So would I change anything? I mean, I'd prefer not to die, but but no. And yet, it, I think it's harder for the people who are left behind. I think it always is. I agree with that completely. I mean, it's hard while you're the person with the terminal illness until you pass away. But once you are gone, then yes, all those poor souls left behind trying to cope with it. It's so hard. Right. And that was 
something that was very rewarding to write, you know, her sister, Jen, who is such a tower of strength for her and really falls apart after she dies. And the friendship that she and Joshua build in their loneliness for her, you know, the way her, her mom is, you know, to lose a child is the worst thing that could happen to anyone. And so this poor woman has lost her husband suddenly and her daughter slowly. And she was, wasn't a perfect mother, but, but she's still a human with a beating heart. And I, I really love to explore relationships and the difficult parts of them. Because as a writer, as you know, we can't just write about people who are great and have no problems. You know, <laughs> it would be a very short, boring story. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I like to examine the more difficult emotions. And, uh, you know, grief is love. And grieving is honoring the person who has passed. And you can't do it forever. You shouldn't do it forever. You'll never forget this person. You'll always love them. But I think you can either be flattened by a loss or you can grow stronger from it and carry it with you better throughout your life. And learn from it. Of course. You know, I think that, you know, this is so funny because they're not at all related. But my husband and I just watched Mayor of Easttown. Have you mm-hmm. watched it yet? No, it's it's on my list for, for once my book release week is over. <laughs> Mayor is really struggling with a crippling loss. That's not a spoiler. And she just can't move on from it. And so I was thinking a lot about Lauren's mom, who for a time is struggling. And, you know, just how how the grief can overtake somebody and how you have to find some way to move on. But some people just get stuck. They do. They do. And, you know... My own mom struggled so much after my father died. She did not expect this. No one did, but she was 47 years old and a widow, and her children were in college and out of the house. And it took a long time for her to start like moving toward the light, as it were, you know, seeing her siblings and friends again and, and starting to be happy again and, and allowing herself to be happy. Because I think for a lot of people, you think, I can't be happy. I'm not supposed to laugh or smile because my wife is dead. My husband is dead. My child is dead. You know, the guilt. Right. That, that idea that continuing to live and having a good time is somehow a betrayal of the love that you had. When in fact, it's the opposite. If you asked anyone on their deathbed, do you want me to be sad and wretched for the rest of, of my life? They would say, no. <laughs> How <laughs> dare not. you? Right. You know? Exactly. I think that's true. And I think you make that point at some point in the book. I'm thinking Josh goes out and he's like, wait a minute, everybody else's lives have been going on and I am just still stuck here. And I I know when I've lost people close to me, it's that same way. Everything stops for you, but it doesn't stop for anyone else except for maybe the other people that are also sharing your loss. But you know, mm-hmm. you get out and you're like, okay, the world continues. And I guess that is part of it. The world continues and you have to continue. Right. And that's the purpose of Lauren's letters and right. the tasks that she gives him. Is And there is, you know, the, the title of the book comes from the beautiful W.H. Auden poem, Funeral Blues, um, which many people will recognize from the first line, stop all the clocks, because it does seem like time cannot go on without your loved one and pack up the moon, dismantle the sun. You know, the universe can't keep going on. And at one point, Josh kind of obliquely references that poem. And he says, you know, the clocks kept going. And there was that day 
when nobody called him, nobody texted him, when everybody else had their lives. Lauren's sister had her children, her job, you know, Lauren's mother, it's same. And he realizes he's almost furious. The clocks have kept going. And, you know, he wants to tell people, like he goes out with the dog and he wants to grab people and say, you know, your life could end, you know, your partner's life could end any minute. How, you know, like how stupid you are to be happy. (laughs) Don't you know? And I think that's a very normal response to that sort of rage. You've lost your person and everyone else is just walking around like life is normal and your world has been destroyed. I think that's exactly right. Well, Kristen, I was so curious as I was reading how you decided to include the medium storyline. Well, I know a medium and this was uh, probably, let's see, my son is 22. So this was probably 23 years ago. She and I worked together. She was a very shy, lovely person. And we never, we didn't know each other before. We just sat next to each other. And one day she turned to me and she said, I'm so sorry to bother you, but your father won't leave me alone. And she didn't come from my town. And this was before the internet, you know, my dad's death is not on the internet and all that stuff. And she said, he's tall and kind of thin and he has very blue eyes and and she just just described him to a tee down to what he was wearing my dad loved like barney's and he was kind of a clothes whore and um she was like he's wearing a really nice suit and he's surrounded by books and he worked in the printing industry making books you know and and she said please don't think i'm crazy and i said no this is lovely and i'm one of those people i kind of believe in everything And absolutely believe in nothing, but I do believe (laughs) in an afterlife. You know, I think I I have to because of the losses that I've had in my life. It's very comforting to think I'll see those people again. And so all these years later, I went back to Tracy and said, what's it like to be a medium and how does it go? And and she sat and told me, and I thought like, I'm going to give this to Joshua who is an agnostic slash almost atheist, and let him know that there's still something out there. And it's, it's so wonderful for him to, to have some kind of affirmation that Lauren's energy or spirit is out there somewhere. But it's also so frustrating, you know, and he says to his his friend, Ben, like, well, what do I do? Do I go see Gertie every day and try to talk to my dead wife? Like, wh- what does this change? Uh, it changes everything. It changes nothing. And Gertie is one of my favorite characters because she's like this tiny little Jewish lady who, with a great Rhode Island accent. And she, you know, she's like everybody's grandma. The house is crowded with furniture and cross-stitching. And she's just so down to earth that it's very hard for Josh to deny her gift. And it's one of those scenes, I think, that's like, you blubber through it, but but also it's funny. I agree. I wasn't totally certain where that storyline was going. And I was kind of curious almost till the end how it would unfold, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So you kind of answered a little bit the next question that I was going to ask you, but who did you enjoy writing the most and who's your favorite character in the book? My favorite character is Radley who is someone Josh encounters in one of his tasks, his second, I believe, task, maybe third, 
is to go buy new clothes. Lauren sends him out and says, you know, it's time for you to wear clothes that you didn't wear when I was alive and, and like have new things that don't remind you of me. So she sends him to the mall, you know, and he goes out and he is at Banana Republic and Radley is the salesperson. And then Josh has this realization of something, some regret that he had about, you know, I could have had more time with Lauren if I had only, you know, fill in the blank. And he just has an absolute meltdown in the changing room. And Radley is wonderful to him and takes him out for a drink. You know, they've just met and and it's one of those kindness of strangers moments. And they become really good friends. I loved writing him. I loved his sweetness and his devotion to Josh and and his own goals and ambitions and backstory a little bit that we get to see of him. The character I enjoyed writing the most was definitely Joshua. And I think that's because Lauren and I are alike, except for the 30-year age difference. Um, (laughs) Optimistic, extroverted, kind of bouncy, always up for something fun, very family-oriented. Josh was completely different. You know, he, first of all, he's male and he's on the spectrum. So he has that difficulty interpreting cues from people and um, knowing how to interact at one very sweet scene, he has note cards so he can ask questions and not come across as like a stiff cardboard person. So he like sneaks note cards into his pockets to read off questions to show that he's interested in the other person. You know, how's your grandmother's knee replacement going? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and um, he, I, I really liked writing someone who was so different for me. It was more of a challenge and And it was harder too, but sometimes that's the most rewarding part or the hard parts. I hear that often, that authors that write characters that they're struggling with and struggling to kind of get them to come alive on the page or figure out exactly what they do sometimes in the end become their favorites. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Are you working on anything at the present that you'd like to share with me? Or are you just enjoying getting Pack Up the Moon out into the world? Um, Well, both. I am finishing up a book, will be my 22nd book. And um, this is the story of two sisters. They live on Cape Cod, where I often go. My family has a home up there. And one sister finds out the night before her son, her only child, graduates from high school that her husband has been having an affair and plans to leave her at the end of the summer. And so her world is rocked, and she kind of goes off the rails on the crazy train and starts stalking him and trying to torture him and that kind of thing. (laughs) And then the other sister is kind of thrown into a crisis when she learns that her stepmother will be leaving the country and that her stepmother is her favorite person on earth and her best friend. And she's also a wedding planner, the the other sister, because I did plan my daughter's wedding and I learned a lot about it and how um, wrong it can go sometimes. And my daughter was the easiest bride in the world, but I did get to research that a lot. And so that was really fun to hear some tales from the trenches of the wedding planning world. So that comes out next June, I believe. And right now the title is Out of the Clear Blue Sky. Oh, I like that. That makes me think of some song. I'm trying to think of what it is. Maybe a George Strait song, something about clear blue sky. I think you're right. I think it was George Strait. (laughs) Makes me think of that. Well, that sounds like it will be really good. And that's nice that it's moving along. It's always probably very comforting to know you sort of got the next one in the works and progressing. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we wrap up, will you let me know what you have read recently that you really liked? 
Yes, I would love to. I've read a lot of books this year, and I've listened to a lot of books as well, driving back and forth from Cape Cod. Um, the first one I have to recommend is The Invisible Husband of Frick Island by Colleen Oakley. And Colleen does this beautiful sort of magical realism, almost, these sort of strange lovely stories that are almost dreamlike in quality. And this is the story of a young woman who, whose husband goes missing while he's fishing. And, and yet everyone on the island where they live talks to him, including her. And I also loved The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zio Axelrod, which was like this sort of girl power I guess sort of a romance women's fiction about a young woman on the brink of greatness in the music world. And it was just so vividly written. It was really exciting because I don't know anything about the music world. And it it was so interesting to kind of get a look into it. And the love story was just beautiful. I read The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, which was another it's a story that like starts off really sad with this woman deciding she should kill herself. And then she almost does, and she's kind of stuck between worlds. And that was a really beautiful and delightful book. And then the last book, I, I love nonfiction, especially medical books I'm reading, Every Patient Tells a Story by Lisa Sanders. And she is the doctor who inspired the television show House with the great Hugh Laurie, a show that I loved back in the day. And um, so it's basically medical mysteries and how doctors suss out the diagnosis. That sounds interesting. I'm not even familiar with that last one. And the one about the music industry sounds really good too. And I loved the Midnight Library. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Same here, Cindy. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, Please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Kristen's book can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in my show notes. Blue Willow Bookshop, who I am now partnering with for some of my bookish ventures, recently hosted Kristen, and the event can be found on Blue Willow's YouTube channel. Check it out if you want to hear more about Pack Up the Moon. I hope you'll tune in next time. Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.